I think you have to be able to experiment and and make mistakes. Uh, and you know, I find the question a bit perplexing in the sense that you know, uh, if if you if you really don't know you know what, what what it means to be an entrepreneur, you know, maybe you aren't one. You know, so so I, I think there's a a bit of kind of self initiative uh, and self starter. You know, that that is incredibly important part of, of entrepreneurship. I mean, no one can sort of tell you how to do it. You have to sort of have an instinctual, uh, you know, feeling or an idea about, about something. And you got to be passionate about it. I mean, I think people that look for great ideas to make money, uh, you know, aren't nearly as, as successful as those who say, okay, what do I really love to do? What am I excited about? What do I know something about? You know, what's kind of interesting and compelling? If you look at, at our story, you know, at any point in, in, in the process, you could have gone to uh, conventional, you know, experts. In fact, I remember, uh, I won't name the, the person because he's, uh, he's still an extremely well-known author of famous business books, teaches at a very prominent university. You know, I showed up at a, at a conference uh, when the company was, you know, three or four years old and, you know, he was sort of critiquing our business, and he kind of said, "Oh, this will never work." You know, and and uh, it was a common experience. I mean, when 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 we launched our business in the United Kingdom, uh, we had about twenty-two journalists show up, and it was it was sort of funny because it was about three or four weeks before we launched, we started actually selling, and the thing was just going like crazy. It was just growing so so fast. Which is a good thing because when we had the launch, about 21 of the 22 journalists said, oh, this is a horrible idea, never work in the UK, it's a completely American idea, uh, and you know, don't even think about coming here, you should just pack your bags and go home. Um, good, lucky for me, we'd already started, and, and so, you know, hey guys, love to entertain some more questions, but I gotta go back to the, to the office because you know, we're busy taking orders and you know, making computers. And when I was a freshman at the University of Texas, you know, I was, I was going to school and um, had every intention of going to school. And I was kind of uh, playing around with this as a hobby while I was going to school. And it was sort of a really fun hobby for me because, you know, I was really interested in computers and provided a little extra income. And so, you know, I could buy uh, the latest stereo and kind of whatever I wanted to buy, you know, 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids like to, you know, do stuff like that. When I was a freshman in, in college, it, it kind of selling upgrade kits and, you know, enhancing computers. And, you know, my parents kind of got wind of this and uh, they were really upset uh, because, you know, they thought that I should really only focus on going to college. My father's a doctor, my brother's a doctor, lots of doctors in the family. So I was, you know, going to be a doctor. And, and so they were, they were, you know, very, very upset with me for, you know, Michael, you got to get your priorities straight, you know. So around uh, Thanksgiving of 1983, um, you know, my parents kind of uh, uh, made me commit that I wasn't going to you know, do this computer business anymore. I was only going to focus on my, my studies. And, uh, and so for, that lasted about 10 days. 
And it was during that time that I decided that, that you know, I was going to, I was going to start a company. And, and so actually, you know, my parents kind of telling me to stop doing it is probably what caused the company to get created. If they hadn't done that, it might have just been a hobby. But what I, what I kind of uh, reflected on in those 10 days is that I really love this. And it was enormously exciting, tremendously fun. And so like uh, any other 18-year-old who wants to do what their parents don't want them to do, you just don't tell them. You know? <laughs> and, so that's what I, and so that's what I did. So I, so I, I uh, kind of went about you know, um, path to, to start the company without really telling my parents. I uh, kind of moved into a larger uh, apartment that had really high ceilings, so I could kind of stack things up and and uh, you know manage to conceal it from them for for uh, quite some time. And then I, I I basically kind of came to an arrangement with my parents. I said, look, okay, I really want to go do this, and I know you don't want me to go do it, but I've checked with the University of Texas, and the way it works at at UT is that you can take a semester off. And you can come back. And so I said, well, why don't you, uh, we'll, we'll agree to this. I'll take the semester off, the fall of 84 you know, semester, and I'll go and do this. And if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to school. And if it does, I'll just keep doing it. And so they, you know, they agreed. I mean, if they hadn't agreed, I probably would have done it anyway, to be honest with you. So, so, um, so in May of 84, I incorporated the company and, uh, you know, I started with a thousand dollars, you know, it, it, almost no capital. The interesting thing about the business that we started was that because we were selling directly to the customer, the customer would pay us uh, often right at the time we shipped the product, and so you know we were able to get uh, credit lines from suppliers, and we had you know what's what's known as a negative cash conversion cycle, which. It's a very good thing in a business like ours. We still have that today, and it helps us generate significant, you know, positive uh, free cash flow. Essentially, uh, what it means is that when you look at the complete uh, balance of, you know, how fast do our customers pay us, and how fast do we pay our suppliers, and how much inventory do we have, the net of all that is that uh, we actually, you know, collect money you know way before you know we we pay the money out and so so um that's that's a beautiful thing and in fact it allows a, a company to grow very quickly because you have sort of negative working capital and so we didn't we didn't require lots of capital we weren't as efficient then as, as we are now but you know we were able to grow uh, quite rapidly without a ton of capital now we were growing at such enormous rates we needed some capital because we we needed some buildings and we needed, we needed some infrastructure. And so, you know, we, we uh, got a little bit of, of capital. We got a credit line. Then we eventually did a private placement, went public in 1988 uh, on NASDAQ and, you know, attracted some capital so we could expand around the world and continue growing. We had all types of customers. Um, we're in a, we're in a, you know, a business that is pretty competitive and expanding rapidly, you know, what do we do? So we, we kind of had uh, three strategies that we uh, 
clued in on as our, as our growth path for the future. First one we said was, you got to go outside the U.S. because, you know, uh, 96% of the people in the world live outside the United States. And, you know, it's going to be at least half the opportunities outside the United States. And you can't just be a domestic company. Second thing we said was, we really want to go after large companies because, you know, they uh, underwrite their purchase of technology through productivity and they can afford the best tools. And that's, we know is going to be a lucrative opportunity and, you know, we really want to go after that in a big, big way. Kind of a odd thing for a little company like ours to go after, particularly with IBM and others, you know, in the field. The third thing we said was, you know, uh, differentiating our business is going to be really key. And the way to do that is on service. And uh, you've got to have, you know, better service than the competitors. So we invented this idea of on-site service for the PC, which had really never been done before. And so with those three strategies, we kind of marched forward and and that, you know, that lasted five or six years. And, you know. The way this would work is, is uh, you know, let's say you went to computer land. There used to be such things in the United States and you know, around every street corner. And you bought a computer and it didn't work. Well, you'd, you'd put it back in the car and you'd go there and fix this thing and come back, you know, a week or so later and they'd give it to you. So our idea was that you'd call us on the phone and say, hey, my computer's not working. And we'd come the very next day and fix it. And, um, you know, that, that, you know, it turns out there were all sorts of third party uh, companies that had field service networks, companies like Xerox, for example, who had all these technicians all over the country who were kind of waiting for copiers to fail, you know, and so they had this fixed capacity. And so we could buy up that, that excess capacity at way less cost than we could put it in ourselves and instantly have you know way better service. And actually, Xerox is the company we uh, we we uh, we use for quite some time in that in that. So we use them as one of the third party you know uh, field service providers. So when a customer would call us and say, "Hey, you know something's wrong with my computer," the interesting thing is that about eighty five or ninety percent of the time we could solve that problem actually right on the phone. So we didn't actually have to send the, the technician, but when we did, we kind of knew exactly what the problem was, you know, was, and we could very accurately sort of fix it the very next day. And then we've obviously advanced. Now we have two-hour service, four-hour service, you know, for for kind of mission-critical installations. And some some of our customers say, "Hey, I want to have somebody like there all the time for twenty-four by seven, do that too." So. It, it becomes uh, you know many many different types of service offerings. Services is a really important part of our business that continues to evolve, uh, particularly as you know we create more and more and more complicated products. Customer isn't so much interested in all the bits and bytes and how fast is the computer and what does it do. They want to know that you know, this installation of a critical system that they're putting inside their business is really going to work well. So they're looking for a solution. And so we have to know a lot about their business and we have to really be able to, you know, consult with them and tailor a solution that, you know, meets their needs.
I think it was, it was, you know, the first couple of years, the business grew tremendously, but it was also a business where, you know, you could have gone away at any second, you know, <laughs> because there were so many things that were fragile and unpredictable. And, you know, we were just doing all sorts of new things. You know, by the time we went public in 1988 and had some capital and, you know, uh, I mean, it was still a rocket ship, but you could sort of say, okay, it looks like you got something here, you know, you know. I like to take things apart. Uh, <laughs> I was always, um, you know, taking apart telephones, radios, televisions, sort of anything electronic I could get my hands on. Like to kind of see how it worked, and you know, sometimes I'd put them back together too, but I was mostly interested in, in understanding how, how things worked. I grew up in Houston, Texas. Uh, my father uh, was a doctor, and my mother was a stockbroker, financial consultant, and um, you know, have uh, an older brother and a younger brother, so I was the, the middle child. And um, you know, when I was in uh, the seventh grade, I was in a, in a an advanced math class. And in my math teacher's classroom at the junior high school I went to, they got the first uh, teletype terminal at the school. And this was, of course, before personal computers, and basically you could like write a program and send it off to a big mainframe, the answer would come back. And I became kind of, you know, fascinated with this idea of a computing machine. I thought that was pretty cool. And so, so I would sort of program the, this, this, uh, this teletype terminal and you know, sort of learned all I could about computers. I was an okay student. You know, in, in math and science, I was, I was a better student. You know, if I was interested in the subject, I would do a little better, but I, I, I wasn't particularly uh, you know, like a high-achieving student. I like to read. I was, I was, uh, you know, particularly interested in, uh, you know, science, and uh, you know, either real science or science fiction, and you know, th those kind of things fascinated me. My parents were always talking about the economy, and uh, you know, the stock market and the oil crisis back in the '70s, and and I found those things pretty interesting too. So I would kind of read about business and, you know, and started kind of investing and playing around with, with the stock market and thought that was pretty interesting too. Well, you know, my, my mother was, uh, you know, a financial consultant. So she was sort of, you know, immersed in, in the, the world of stocks and bonds. And, you know, I kind of became interested in, uh, you know, currencies and interest rates and, you know, uh, what was going on with commodity prices and kind of an odd thing for a 13 year old to be doing but but I kind of found it interesting and and um, you know uh, would sort of read reports and you know started playing around and in investing in things and found just found that uh, that whole idea fascinating I had a couple of interesting uh, jobs you know I, 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 I didn't actually have any need for uh, income as a child, but I, I felt compelled to to uh, earn an income uh, 
to allow me to kind of fund my hobbies, right? So, so you know, when I was 12, I, I got my first job. I was a dishwasher in a Chinese restaurant um, and um, got promoted to be the uh, uh, water boy. And then I was, uh, you know, assistant maitre d'. I was moving up pretty quickly in the, uh, in the, in the Chinese restaurant uh, business. Um, and then I got recruited away to a, Me a Mexican restaurant. Uh, you know, and I was still pretty young. I was like 12, 13 years old. And then I got a job, a kind of interesting job. I was working at a, uh, at kind of a stamp and coin store. And one of my jobs was uh, to, uh, you know, when people would come and they, they wanted to sell their, you know, rings or silver, or, you know, I would kind of, uh, you know, assay the, the, uh, the metal and calculate kind of what it was really worth and then try to negotiate with them, you know, to buy it at a good price. I was like 14 years old. Uh, so that, that was a lot of fun. And then, and then um, uh, you know, when I was uh, 16, I, I, you know, I started to be able to drive. Of course, that really expands the number of things you can do. You know, <laughs> because previously your only method of transportation is sort of like a bicycle or, you know, getting your parents to take you or something like that. So I've kind of limited the, the, uh, the available job opportunity. So when I was 16, I, I got this job working for a newspaper in Houston. And my job was to sell subscriptions to the paper on the telephone. And um, I realized uh, two... Uh, things when I was doing this, I realized that uh, people that uh, were buying the newspaper generally had two things in common. Either they were moving to a new residence or they were getting married. And uh, it turns out that you could go find information about both of those things in enormous quantities. So in the state that I lived in, in Texas, when you, get, when you want to get a marriage license, you have to file with the state, and it's public information, uh, particularly the address that you want the license sent to once it's issued. So I hired all my friends and went to every county in the surrounding 16 counties in Houston, captured the addresses of all the people that applied for marriage licenses, and sent them a direct mail offer to offer them the, the newspaper for a free trial and then a subscription. And uh, you know, ended up making a making a fair sum of money for a, for a teenager. I made uh, I made about eighteen thousand uh, dollars one year. Uh, my my government economics teacher was particularly upset with me because uh, we had this uh, assignment in class to fill out our tax return, and so I filled out my tax return and turned it in. She said, "Well, this is this is obviously wrong." Yeah, I said, "No, no, no. This is this is." This is, I filled this, I did the assignment, you know, this is my tax return. And she said, well, this can't be right. You made more money than I did. And I said, well, that, that, that's, that's my tax return. She was kind of upset with me, but. You know, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily think of myself, uh, you know, purely as, as a salesperson, but, but uh, you know, I think the, uh, it was sort of looking at problems from a different perspective and listening very carefully to what the real 
problem was and approaching it from just a completely different angle and not being afraid to have a completely new thought, uh, 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 you know, at, at how to address a problem. It was data driven and, and actually, you know, we applied some of those things in, 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 into the Dell business. You know, one of the other things that I found was that uh, you could actually get lists of people that applied for mortgages. And uh, that was another fantastic source of leads of people who wanted to buy the newspaper. They were moving to a new residence and, you know, you're like, oh, I got a new house. Maybe, you know, I'm nesting, you know, okay, the newspaper, that sounds like a good idea. You know.